Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture with me, Robert Bound. The souvenir is the British director Joanna Hogg's fourth film and her most personal. It's a quiet and reserved thing to sit in front of, but sits powerfully in the memory. A coming-of-age movie in which a young, wide-eyed film student, Julie, played by Honor Swinton Byrne, is charmed by Anthony, a coolly arrogant, slightly older foreign office man, played by Tom Burke, who is not all he seems. Discretion becomes lying, language empowers and belittles, and the truth of a life are explored. Big themes rattle around a small London flat in the 1980s as the IRA's bombs explode outside. To discuss the souvenir today, I'm joined in the studio by the film critic for The Observer, Simran Hans, and film critic and host of Girls on Film podcast, Anna Smith. Welcome both to the programme. Lovely to have you here. Should we get into the sombre, at times, mood of the souvenir? We'll play a bit of the trailer first. I feel as though I want to not not live my whole life in this very privileged um, part of the world I come from. I want to be really aware about what's going on around me. Sorry, sorry. We can all be sincere, but um, what's it all for? So I'm trying to work out where you two tessellate here. How, what, why, when. Can you lend me a couple of quid? Yeah, sure. Not me. Can I borrow some money, please? More money? Yes. Oh. You're too nice. You need to properly get aggressive. Don't lie, Anthony. If you don't want to know, I do then want to don't know. ask. Stop torturing yourself. I'm not Stop torturing. inviting me to torture you. Um, high dudgeon uh, in the souvenir. Let's put Joanna Hogg in place. Who is Joanna Hogg, Simran? So Joanna Hogg is a British filmmaker. She's quite an interesting person because she didn't make her first film until she was in her late 40s. She went to film school. She was Derek Jarman's assistant. She did photography and she had quite a sort of well-to-do background. I mean, the fact that gets banded around about her is that she went to the same school as Princess Diana, who I think was in the year below her. Okay. So that's her sort of context and where she came from. And then she didn't really have, as she's sort of spoken about in many interviews, she didn't really have the confidence to pursue feature filmmaking, even though she was very much a cinephile, very much a filmmaker. She'd made short films, she'd studied film. And so she went into TV and she worked on things like Casualty, EastEnders, like various soaps. And then in... I think it's 2007, but please correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, she made her first feature, a film called Unrelated. Yeah. And so she's made three more films since then. She made a film called Archipelago, a film called Exhibition, and then now The Souvenir. And so the first two films, Unrelated and Archipelago, are sort of Brits abroad family holiday kind of films, yeah. uh, if you could call that a subgenre. <laughs> and these are very kind of well-to-do middle-class people with... It's like posh nuts in May. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> so, sort of, but quite reserved. Um, everything's sort of bubbling under the surface. She famously sort of discovered Tom Hiddleston. Mm. So he features as a, a kind of young guy on this family holiday that an older single woman becomes sort of infatuated with. And then he's also the lead in, in Archipelago as well. It's about a holiday in, I think it's Sicily or some other Italian island. And then Exhibition is a slightly different kind of film. It's about a marriage between two artists who live in this crazy modernist house. Stars Viv Albertine from The Slits, uh, who 
is a friend of Joanna Hogg's and that was a, a sort of more experimental film and then The Souvenir, her latest film which premiered at Sundance which is where I first saw it, is about Joanna Hogg's life herself. It's a kind of memoir from yeah. uh, her time at film school in the 1980s. Thank you. That's an excellent pressy of Joanna Hogg's career. Anna, does this does the souvenir feel like a natural next step for her, kind of cinematically, maybe in terms of subject matter as well? It's a very personal film. Yes, I think it's probably her most personal film. It certainly follows in the tradition, as Simran says, as of very naturalistic dialogue and sort of quite understated mm. and very much in the milieu of really the upper middle class. You could even say upper class. I mean, everyone's very wealthy here. She's got a flat in, in Knightsbridge, I believe. And, and you know, one of her biggest problems is, you know, she has to ask mummy to for another 200 quid you know for allegedly for film school so you know we're not dealing with the kind of social realism that we might be used to here which is you know potentially makes it more interesting because obviously we're always sort of accepting you know working class social realism as the most dramatic but it's interesting to see someone using her own personal very upper class life yeah. for cinematic entertainment or exploration really i mean this is an art film yeah. in every sense it's interesting the idea of social realism let's tackle that because that is neatly addressed in the film. I think Joanna Hogg, when I saw the film last week, it was prefaced by an, in a Q&A with Joanna Hogg. And she said, oh, everyone always thinks my films are about class, but it's, I am the class I am, and they're just films about the people I know, kind of thing, is what she says, which I thought was fair enough. It is an interesting idea related to in the film, actually, when, she, when the character of Julie goes to film school and says, I want to set a film in Sunderland, I want it to be about... The... And she is accused by... I guess her film tutors and then Anthony when he comes into her life of sort of being of that being a sort of cultural tourism a sort of class tourism what do we think about that because it's interesting it's like the uh, upper class people aren't allowed to be real it has to be about the class rather than just the people it's an interesting spaghetti hoop that right well I think this is a kind of criticism that Joanna Hogg has faced throughout her career that she makes films about people who aren't particularly relatable or their problems don't seem like a particularly big deal and I think what's interesting about this film is that critique is built into it. So as yeah. we sort of said before, Julie, the main character who's based on Joanna Hogg herself and played by Honest Winton Byrne, she is a, a film school student and her big project is that she wants to make this film about the working class shipyards of Sunderland when she grew up in sort of Kent or Norfolk or somewhere <laughs> yes. like that and she lives opposite Harrods. And she questions it herself. She says that she doesn't want to be constrained by her own experience. She doesn't want to live in her own privileged bubble. But she wonders whether she's the right person to tell that story. And I think, yeah, I, I think the fact that the critique is built into the film and is anticipated shows a, a kind of self-awareness. Yeah, and it is. And I suppose that's the thing. I bet it sort of feels like... We don't want to spoil the end of the film, but it feels like there is some sort of element of, I don't know, the sun shining through the clouds at the end and her kind of realising what perhaps her, her kind of calling in, in life might be. Let's talk about sort of some of the action. Julie is quite a, she's a free-spirited, she's a, she's a really likeable young character with a kind of set of quite, do you not like her? <laughs> I, I'm raising my eyebrows. I listeners. quite liked her. Um, I, quite, I thought she was quite good. She's quite open. I quite liked her friends, her circle of friends. I, I like Joanna was... Hogg. We have mutual friends. Yeah. I want to like her films, but I didn't find enough in Julie to get hold of. I didn't okay. feel that her character was sufficiently well drawn for me to engage with her before we're plunged into a romantic dilemma, which is basically the situation. You're right. I mean, it's briefly 
beautifully set up. She's she goes quite to house a blank parties. Canvas, isn't she? Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. she seems nice enough. Don't get me wrong; she didn't mm. seem like an awful person. But I didn't, and I think partly it's more to do with the script, perhaps, than the performance, because we're deliberately thrown right in there. Yeah. You know, in this naturalistic environment, listening to her sort of mumble and stutter through life. And there, she's at house parties where the conversation seems quite authentic. But I didn't quite know why I was there. I didn't feel I was getting a lot from it. And then suddenly she's thrown into this, as you say, the action where she meets this very charming, in her eyes, gentleman who uh, claims to work for the Foreign Office and sort of sweeps her off her feet. But there wasn't much connection or emotion for me in that. I didn't feel that I was falling for him or with her, which is a bit of a problem. I feel like it's flagged up right from the start that this is a wrong one. Okay. (laughs) So, and, And also because I didn't feel much of a sense of what it drove her in life other than the fact that she wants to make films and that she has some nice friends and she works, you know, and yeah. she lives in a lovely flat. And so I wasn't with her. I didn't have sympathy with her. So when she started falling for a cad, I honestly started to become bored. Well, that's that's fair enough. What do you think of... I thought Julie was quite, a, as I say, quite a blank canvas for the... You know, she's, she's young and she's sort of impression, impressionable. And I suppose the dynamic is simply him taking advantage of her. Well, I, I have a couple of things to say on that. I mean, firstly, sort of regarding the script, something that's quite interesting about the way Joanna Hogg works is that she doesn't use scripts. What she does is she creates this sort of quite big... 30-odd page dossier which she gives to the actors because she works with a mix of actors and non-actors. So she doesn't give it to the sort of untrained people who are starring in the film. So Honest Winton Burns, her first film, she was 19 when she made it. So she didn't get to see this document. And she sort of blocks out the ideas for the scene. She talks about how the characters should be feeling. And then she you know, encourages the actors to improvise. So all that dialogue feels probably authentic, like you said, Anna, because she's making it up and she's sort of responding in yes, the moment. Yes, I'm, I'm aware that it's improvised. But at the same time, it's a setup, isn't it? The scene is set up by the writer. Well, exactly, and, and based on her experiences. In terms of her sort of not giving much away, I, I definitely understand what you mean by that. She is quite sort of held back. But I, to me, that seemed like... The reason why Hogg seems to keep everything at such a distance is because she's looking back on this time that she couldn't change. And I found there's something kind of painful about that distance. You know, she watches it play out. She watches this character make these terrible decisions and kind of sabotage herself and put her toxic relationship before her career. And there's a sense of almost regret there yeah. which I find quite moving no it's, I, it's good it's good that you two have different views on this I like that I don't need to be here I can be the referee wearing a check shirt yeah I wondered about the the editing of it actually the scenes are I think this is a, a hogism are allowed to play out almost to their natural end and I suppose that is something to do with the perhaps some of the improvisory nature of it as well that scenes kind of don't peter out exactly but there's a lot of people walking through shots and walking through rooms and stuff I like that would agree with Simran I kind of like that sort of stuff what did you think about the kind of edit of it of it's film? a weakness for me but yeah. it, as you suggest you know all Simran's points are absolutely valid because that's how she responded to this film and it is a very personal film mm. and people have very personal responses what interests me is that actually most film critics seem to be on Simran's you know 
know, side of, of the yeah. argument. And I desperately, you know, as the host of a feminist film podcast, wanted to like this film and want to like her work. And I'm very glad she's being celebrated. But I just genuinely cannot engage with her work right from Unrelated and Archipelago. Mm. I've always found what you're talking about very hard to engage with. And I think... Is that okay if you set a, a film in, in the Australian outback or in space? It's the same thing. It's just different people, isn't it? Is that... Are the characters too thin? I think it's that. It's, I think it's that because, you know, I'm a big fan of films where nothing happens, like from Kelly Reichardt or Deborah Granick, you <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. So it's not that, that it's, I'm a pro, but it, I, I do. I do. <laughs> Anna, I'm not saying that. <laughs> no, I know. I'm, 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 I'm playing devil's advocate. No, I know. <laughs> but, but, it's, but it's kind of interesting. I'm just explaining that um, it's interesting to analyse why because it's not immediately apparent to me and it's yeah. very unusual for me to have this kind of response to something that everyone else is championing yeah. critically. So it, and so I've watched this twice you know, in an attempt to sort of decode that. And I think at a lot of it is to do with the fact that the characters are not sufficiently established for me mm. and that I also, despite some realism in the dialogue, I was not convinced by people's reactions to one another all the time. Now, Honor, I think is, um, the camera loves Honor Swinton Burton. I think she she has the potential to be a fantastic actress. Mm. I think in this I was very aware that she was improvising and quite hesitant and I know her character's meant to be hesitant but I never lost the sense that I was watching someone giving a performance. And I never felt that anyone was talking with any kind of passion or conviction. It's all very apologetic and muttery. I mean, it's a sort of almost sort of an English mumblecore, in, perhaps in some ways. And I just, although Tom Burke is brilliant yeah. in parts and his improvisation, he had a lot longer to do it, as I understand. So he probably planned it and he has some a couple of really great lines where he undermines her. The, the bit and the, yeah, exactly. And that the bit we heard in the clip actually of you know stop tempting me to bully or whatever it is. I'm paraphrasing. Is very good because that is what it is. Stop inviting me to torture you. Thank you, yes. Simran. Yeah. More of that, I think. I thought yeah. that interesting that dynamic, that gender dynamic between them, where he's manipulating her, and we've all, if not ourselves, we've had friends that have fallen in love with an unsuitable man who's manipulated mm. them and made them feel like trash. And somehow these women have stayed with these men for a long time. And I thought that. It was a really interesting conceit and I thought there were little flashes of genius mm. there when he was speaking to her and undermining her but that was a very small part of a very long film for me yeah okay let's focus on one thing that maybe we all like maybe we don't don't know the lunches <laughs> what is this restaurant I mean this is like an old uh, basically so so Julie and Anthony go for a series of smart luncheons in palatial surroundings i don't know what it's in harrods isn't oh, that, it? is, is that the harrods dining room is it i don't know anyway. the food hall yes it could be yes it really yeah okay because it's and it's sort of proper frock coated um, waiters and all the rest of it and they have these excruciatingly quiet lunches restaurants aren't really like that anymore are that quiet and that sort of stilted and that is they're they're sort of i i thought those scenes were kind of riveting in their sort of social awkwardness and there is something about that uncomfortability sometimes of being served in a very quiet room. Uh, well, what do we think about the it's a, it's a very different version of the 80s, isn't it? Yeah. Because I think a lot of people look back on the 80s as a time of garrulousness and especially the, the left-wing young cohort of people in the world like sort of reacting against this very conservative, oppressive government. And so it's interesting to sort of see a character who's values are sort of signposted quite early on as, as being quite left wing and yet she exists in this very privileged world not really mixing very much with sort of people who are outside her social strata and I think that tension is is quite funny at times those lunches yeah. are awkward and, yeah they are um, funny yeah. you know Anthony's monogrammed slippers and his sort of silky dressing gown it, 
it all adds to the texture of, of the world that feels slightly incongruous. What do we think about Anthony? We've said right at the beginning and right at the beginning of the film or right at his introduction to the film, he's supposed to work for the for- he's some something at the Foreign Office, something very boring, he says. And it seems like a cover for his true habits and his true personality, perhaps. What do we think about his slightly over-egged smartness? Did you believe it? Or did you feel that he was a social tourist? He was doing a very good impersonation of someone from that class? The latter, I think. Yeah, and I, I think thought so I thought too. that was really well realised. Yeah. He, he was by far the most convincing character, ironically, to me, because he's clearly a liar, or at least reading between the lines, he seems to be fabricating an identity for himself. Yeah. And he's using the vulnerability and the lack of self-confidence of a young woman um, who is considerably younger than him to exploit that. And again, it's so interesting to see an intelligent woman falling for that because they do and it does happen and I thought that was really well played but yeah I I felt like I say and that was a little bit of a problem for me that I knew from the off that it was very clear Mm. that he is his sort of spinning of web of lies because he's very exaggeratedly posh isn't he and you know I think there's an implication that he wasn't really posh at all. I think he was a faker and when when he goes to the family home in uh, Julie's family home in Norfolk and they have lunch he meets the parents and he's a bit too loose, a bit too droll. And he asks if they're going to have wine with lunch. And it's just the strangest question. And, and the father's like, well, I'm sure we've got a bottle of something decent on the table. And it's a really funny thing. You feel like that was one of the sort of strange clangers that might have been dropped in the thing. And the monogram slippers are a little bit over the top yeah. for someone of, of that. Definitely. That, that was the best lunch, I think, the family lunch. Yeah, yeah it's really so, good. Yeah, sort of excruciating. Yeah. And they talk about... The, they talk about Northern Ireland, and as, as we said in the introduction, the bomb, the IRA's bombs are going off around London and Britain, and they start talking about it over lunch. And Tilda Swinton, who plays her daughter's mother in this, says, "Well, it's very difficult to know, isn't it?" And they, everything is sort of brushed under the carpet, I suppose, all the time. Anyway, what does the film look like, Anna? It's cool and it's kind of washed out. It reminds me of photographs, family photographs from the 1980s. Yes, it's very almost painterly, I suppose. But yeah, and very wide framed often apart from, you know, when you've got some intimate moments. But I think it's probably her visually most exciting work for me because I didn't really like um, the cinematography in her earlier films. And I think this is one of its strongest points. And as you suggest, it takes place in some absolutely stunning locations and interiors. And it makes the most of that and conveys that sort of privileged literal bubble that she talks about that she is actually living in. Simon, did you like the look of the film as well? Yeah, I mean, like her background is photography. And I think that I'm sort of with There are some things that were like Guy Bourdin photographs when he buys the lingerie. Yeah. And she's putting it on, and that's a precise Guy Bourdain ripoff, isn't it? I mean, it's really beautiful. Well, I'm, I was going to say, I'm kind of with Anna on, on her visual style. What I like about Joanna Hogg is, is not necessarily particular aesthetic sens- sensibility, but this one feels very composed, and um, I think she dug out a lot of old photographs. I know she recreated the flat sort of inch by inch yeah. um, with, with a set designer to create this almost like a um, psychogeographical space yeah. where she could access all of these memories from this fact that she'd been in as a student. And this is her first film to be shot on film. And I think it's a mix of 16mm, 35mm, and then some of it is shot digitally on an Alexa with a 16mm lens on it. And I think that graininess and that cloudiness you're right it's sort of washed out it it gives it this this feeling of it taking place in a dreamlike past this is the first of two 
films that I don't know whether the second one is going to be called The Souvenir. It's called The Souvenir Part Two. <laughs> Catchy. <laughs> yeah, the Revenge for Anna. Um, anyway. <laughs> oh God. Um, um, what? And and I in the pref in the in the Q and A preface that I saw at my screening of the film, Joanna Hogg said. I had always been juggling with this idea for years, trying to make this film, and I couldn't do it because I kept on trying to be fair. But the woman's voice, the woman's story and the man's story. So I just decided to tell the woman's story, which is kind of my story in inverted commas, is what she said, which I thought was interesting. So the implication perhaps being that the next one will be Anthony's story or maybe the rest of the family's story. I don't know. I don't know who. Well, we should, we should say that yeah. sort of we, we've talked about the film as being a sort of doomed love story and a, a time capsule of a young woman in the 1980s. But for me, the reason why I love this film so much is because it's about an artist discovering who she is as a filmmaker, discovering what her sensibility is, what what her limitations are, what kind of art she wants to make and why she can't quite make it yet. And from what I understand, Souvenir Part 2 is going to be more of an exploration of her at film school and as yeah. she kind of like finds her creative feet. And on the subject of Girls on Film and your podcast and all the rest of it, this film was introduced by the woman that runs the Bird's Eye Film Festival, of which it Mia was Bays. part Mia Bays. Bird's yeah. Eye View, yep. And it was about sort of presenting it, you know, with the female gaze. What is that specific to this film for you? I mean, it's a film about a young woman. The director is a, is a woman. There's a strange, obviously, the mother-daughter relationship in the film is played by a mother and daughter in real life. There are all sorts of interesting female dynamics going on in it. Did they jump out at you? Is that an important thing for this for this movie? I think on paper there are certain elements of it that I really do admire because it's great to see a heroine who is a little bit meek, to be mm. honest, and isn't necessarily a really strong personality and who has some problems with self-image. She's trying to work out what to do with light, but she's not one of those comedy heroines, slacker kind of American ones. So I think that was very honest and atypical and could only really arguably come from a female filmmaker. And the kind of reactions she had to Anthony were very honest. Again, yeah. you know, the fact that there was no kind of apology for her being duped. There was no explanation for why she's falling for this. It just happens. And that's quite brave, I thought. But yeah, I mean, it's it's always wonderful to see a film by a female filmmaker um, based on personal experience because... It does feel authentic, whether it's entertaining is another matter. But as you say, <laughs> you know, uh, there were certain scenes with the mother in particular I thought were good. There's a moment where Tilda Swinton playing the mother sort of says, I've put Anthony down the hall because it's not that kind of relationship, is it? Yeah. Uh, and it's just almost sort of verbatim, like some of the conversations I've already had with my, my yeah. mother. You know, it's just sort of <laughs> how they elegantly make sure you don't sleep together under the same roof. Mm. So little details like that, I think, um, yeah. were, were great. Um, but I wouldn't say personally that it has anything or even tries to say anything big about womanhood but I'm very glad that it exists as one woman's personal story from an unapologetically female view. Okay thank you very much that was the souvenir Simran we're going to talk about what it reminded you of when you were reviewing the movie what you kind of called into your orbit to help you review it and you've chosen the painting that the film is named after. Tell yes. us about this. So the film is named The Souvenir after a painting by Jean-Honneur Fragonard which I've probably butchered, the 18th century French painter. And basically there's a sort of key scene where they go to look at this painting. Anthony takes Julie to look at this painting mm. at the Wallace Collection. Just down the road. In Manchester Square. I had heard of the Wallace Collection. I'd never been. I thought it looked incredible in the film. 
after I watched the movie, I went. And it's it's free. It's open to the public. It's it's really. I mean, it's probably going to get very busy now, but it's really <laughs> worth taking some time and and having a wander. It's a, a sort of stunning, like sort of stately home esque museum gallery where every room is wallpapered like Marie Antoinette's bedroom, mm. and there's all these gilded frames of French paintings. And in the film, they both have different interpretations of the painting. So Julie sees it, and it's it's very it's a very small painting, by the way. You know, you'd think it would be sort of one of the the main ones in the room, but it's actually sort of very small, the size sort of, of postcard a small, sized. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, not quite postcard, but sort of the size of a small book, let's say. Yeah. Um, uh, Touche. Paperback sized. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, and yeah, so she she sees it, and she, it's the, the sorry, I, I haven't even described the painting. So for those who don't know the painting, which very delicate thing, I it? didn't know. It's of a young woman in a sort of like rhubarb coloured silk dress. And she is in profile, leaning against a tree. There's a small dog next to her. And she's carving, supposedly, her lover's initials into the tree. And Julie sees the painting and she says, um, oh, she looks sad. And uh, Anthony sees the painting and he said, she looks very determined Mm. and in love. Mm. And I thought that was so interesting and especially in like the early stages of a relationship the early stages of seduction going to see art with somebody is a very intimate thing isn't it yeah and um i guess there's a sense of posturing or or tiptoeing around each other because you want to seem like your interpretation of the art is clever and Mm. i feel like there's a lot of yeah performance and posturing in, in their relationship and i thought that was a really nice microcosm of it and also the painting is is very beautiful it's really worth seeing and i i just I don't know. I, I like the idea that Joanna Hogg remembered this and she was so moved by this visit to a gallery, this piece of art, that she made it central to the film. But it's really sort of a background note. You know, yeah. it's it's not the key to understanding the film, but it's a, a kind of very interesting starting point and helps you to sort of think about the dynamic between the two characters. So I thought that was very clever. You're right. And it is when she says, I think she looks sad, and he says, I think she looks determined and in love. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, as he does everywhere in the rest of the film, he is sort of feels like he's correcting her point of view on it rather than just stating his own. Do you know what I mean? I thought that was a real sort of tone shifter and, and story pusher. I, I, do you know what I mean? I, I felt that was, I was like, shut up, man. You know, <laughs> I felt sorry for her right then. You know, yeah, it was, he's sort of almost undermining her interpretation exactly, as a, exactly. a power thing. Yeah. And um, yeah. it's, it's playing on her inherent insecurity. Yeah. But if you have the chance to go and see the painting, either with a lover, but, you know, preferably by yourself, you know, recommend the experience. It's very Hopefully someone who won't mansplain to you. Oh, God. Yeah. Yes, that's what it is. It's, mans- it's basically it mansplaining. Maybe his whole, the whole movie, he's mansplaining. Maybe it's a good... Um, it's that's a good, a good, a good one-liner. Yeah, mansplaining as told by a woman. Yeah. yeah, I suppose. Maybe that's a good test if you take a date there and see if they mansplain the painting to you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, good one. <laughs> OK, Simran, thank you very much. It is Jean-Honoré Fragonard's The Souvenir down the road here at the Wallace Collection on Manchester Square. Anna... We talked about this before we switched on the microphones. You're going to talk about appropriate behaviour, a movie from 2014. Simon was like, how are you going to get into this one from the souvenir? So let's see. Let's see this sharp direction. It's a little tenuous. But what I got to thinking is it's actually quite unusual, obviously, to see films by women anyway. But films by women that are based on their own personal experience, semi-autobiographical, are unfortunately quite rare. I mean, Dee Reese has made a great one prior. But I wanted to talk about appropriate behaviour because it's really one that I loved rather than, you know, than I responded to. So I thought it would be yeah. an interesting counterpoint to think about, okay, why did I respond to appropriate behaviour more than I did the souvenir? Um, so it's Desiree 
Mireille Cavan. Um, it's based on her personal life and she actually stars in it, which I think is, number one, a great coup to have her personally reliving her own experiences as a, as a great actress. And she plays an Iranian bisexual teacher who um, is trying to come out to her parents off the back of an unsuccessful relationship with a woman. It's very urban, very American. It's very funny. It's very witty. So it's a million miles away from the souvenir. But I was very impressed with how she brought her own personal experience into it in a very witty way and also really set up the character before you get into the dramas. So you're invested with her from the start, really. Does appropriate behaviour have a bit more of a traditional kind of story arc and a traditional way of being played out then, rather than the sort of improvisatory nature of the souvenir and just being dropped into a conversation? Very much. I mean, I'd imagine there's some improvisation because it's quite comedic and she hires very funny people and she's very funny herself. So I'd imagine there's some playing with it, given that she's a scriptwriter herself as well. But these are very different beasts. But I wanted to celebrate a film by a woman that's very personal, which I loved. And this is one I would encourage people to revisit. She went on to make The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which I thought was oh, yeah. a fantastic film. Really strong. She did The Bisexual on TV as well, Maxine Peake. She's a really tremendous filmmaker and I want to see more from her. Nice. Uh, that is Appropriate Behaviour, starring and written by and directed by Desiree yes, Akavan. Yes. And that is Anna Smith's choice. Thank you both very much indeed. That brings us to the end of today's show. The Souvenir, whatever you think of it, is out in cinemas now. Thank you to my guests today, Simran Hands and Anna Smith, and to my producer, Holly Fisher, and Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We'll be back at the same time next week. But for the time being, from me, Robert Bound, thank you for tuning in. 